Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about the nominees for the 2022 Ballon d'Or, as there are four African players this time, as compared to two last year for the Men's Award, and as Nigeria's Assisat Oshwala has become the first African player to be nominated for the Women's Ballon d'Or. Also, we look at the great progress being made in women's football in Africa. We focus on what's been happening in Botswana. The players, they're just there to compete nowadays. They're, they're not just playing for, for fun. Everyone want to play for the national team. That's coming later. Lots too on the English Premier League as Man City already have a four-point advantage over Liverpool. Let's start then with the nominees for the Ballon d'Or. The prestigious award was won by Lionel Messi last year. This time he's not on the 30-man shortlist and neither is Neymar. Cristiano Ronaldo does feature but is unlikely to win it and Real Madrid's Karim Benzema is the favourite after winning the Champions League while Sadio Mane is a contender after winning the Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal and finishing runners-up in the Champions League with Liverpool. Now, this time last year, we were talking about there being only two Africans on the 30-man shortlist for the Ballon d'Or. That was Mohamed Salah and Riyad Mahrez, while Mane surprisingly didn't make it. This time, there are four Africans. That's Mane, Salah, Mahrez and Sebastian Haller. The Ivory Coast striker had a great season with Ajax and has now moved to Borussia Dortmund, but uh, Haller hasn't played for them yet after being diagnosed with a malignant testicular tumour, but hopefully he'll be back soon. Uh, so it's an improvement with four African players in the top 30. Is that enough, Ida? Well, Steve, I'm going to be a bit difficult here and say I don't think it's enough, but as you've said, it's certainly better than last year. And a lot of people saying that it's pretty much a two-horse race, you know, between Benzema and Mane, and I tend to agree. Though, as we've seen in years past, you know, it's always good to have shock absorbers <laughs> in case of a surprise. But before we get to the favorites, well, I would like to focus on Sebastian Hallow because my, oh my, I mean, what a turnaround. Barely two years ago, he was struggling for form at West Ham. Add the fact that he was also dealing with a sick wife and child. Steve, I doubt, very much doubt, that he'd have seen himself being nominated for football's most coveted prize not too long after. It was definitely his most prolific campaign in Europe. I mean, his 21 goals pretty much helped Ajax win the Dutch League, the Eredivisie. He scored 11 goals in the UEFA Champions League. I mean, this goes to show that things can really change. So... This nomination is definitely a big one for him. I do have to say, very deserved as well. And look, it's sure to change the general mood for him and his family, I'd like to imagine. Especially after going into chemotherapy not too long ago. As for Salah and Maris, well, they had outstanding seasons on an individual level for Salah. And with Maris winning the English Premier League with City, also with a decent performance individually, but falling short for country and in the Champions League, I will say, is their downfall. 
Looking at the favorites, Steve, and I would tell you that Sadio Mane is definitely my pick, African or not. <laughs> I mean, he led Senegal to their first ever AFCON. He scored the winner as the Taranga Lions qualified for the World Cup. And frankly, the major things I would put Benzema ahead of Mane is the UEFA Champions League win as well as Real Madrid winning domestically where Liverpool felt short, you know. But we also know how it goes. And Mane has talked about it as well. You know, the fact that African players are never really regarded seriously for this top prize. It would have to take seismic things for an African to win it, in my opinion at least. You know, probably win the domestic league, the UEFA Champions League, and probably get to the semis of the World Cup at the very least. And look, forget about it entirely if there's a player of European descent who's done the same. But Mbappe might have been onto something, you know, predicting that it will be fellow countryman Benzema, Mane and himself in the final three. Benzema won the UEFA Nations League with France, of course, so he did get that title for country as well. But look, we can only dream. And now it does look like, you know, somewhat of a possibility. But a first Ballon d'Or for the continent, Steve, since 1995, that would be absolutely incredible. Yes, sure. And for the Women's Award, Nigeria's Asisat Oshwala has become the first African player to be nominated for the Women's Ballon d'Or. Oshwala had a good season with Barcelona, and last month she won a record fifth CAF Women's Player of the Year award. I wonder if we can start talking about her as being the greatest African women's player ever, Ida. You know what, Steve? I think we can. And it's not jumping the gun because Oshoala has shown consistency in her game throughout the years. When she came into the spotlight, that was around 2014, former Super Falcon star Perpetua Nkwacha was arguably the best female player in African football. Now, Nkwacha retired a year later and Oshoala pretty much took over. <laughs> Steve, Oshoala is at least to me, the greatest ever African women's player, period. What Akide started and Nkwacha cemented, then Oshoala has surely, surely taken to the next level. First African woman to win the Pichichi, scoring 20 goals in a season, Steve, that saw her sidelined with injury for two months. First African woman to win five CAF Player of the Year awards. I mean, Steve Oshuala keeps setting the bar, then keeps raising it. <laughs> and the fact that it's her first nomination is pretty interesting because aside from this fantastic individual effort, you know, of being the top scorer, she has been part of a Barcelona team that has won the treble, remember, in a season where she scored both domestically and in the Champions League. Sure, it wasn't top scorer material, but she still didn't get a nod then. So it's great, you know, that the world is finally acknowledging, finally seeing what we in the continent have known for years. Granted, this has been a fantastic season, at least domestically for Barcelona, you know, going unbeaten, finishing 24 points in front of Real Sociedad in second, though they did fall short in what was undoubtedly a painful Champions League final for them. And look, this might be the undoing of some of their players in the final shortlist.
this is still a huge move for the Nigerian. And once again, I repeat, <laughs> in a season that saw her out for eight weeks. Now imagine, Steve, just imagine what she can do with the full season on her best form. Yeah, sure. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Who do you think is the greatest African women's player ever? As Nigeria's Asisat Oshwala has become the first African player to be nominated for the Women's Ballon d'Or. And last month she won a record fifth African Women's Player of the Year award. That means she's surpassed legends like Nigerians Perpetua Okwacha, who won the award four times, and Mercy Akide, who won the first award back in 2001. So we're asking, who do you think is the greatest African women's player ever? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who do you think is the greatest African women's player ever? Well, staying with women's football here on Planet Sport Football Africa, the show brought to you by Passion for Sport and the Confederation of African Football has moved forward with their club licensing program. Now, along with the draw for this season's CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup, CAF released the list of clubs that have been granted a license for the season. Now, club licensing aims to bring professionalism and higher standards to clubs. Recently, a club licensing seminar was hosted by CAF in Egypt. So 58 clubs from 46 different countries have been licensed by CAF for this season. This is a requirement to take part in the Champions League and the Confederation Cup. Uh, one of the needs is that a club must have a women's team that's functioning. And South African club Kaiser Chiefs said this week that because of this, they will be forming a women's team. Uh, now more on this shortly. Uh, this comes as women's football is growing in Africa and also in Europe where the hosts England won the Women's Euro 2022 recently with huge crowds there and as South Africa won the Women's Africa Cup of Nations in Morocco also with big attendances and with exciting football. Now Botswana qualified for the WAFCON for the first time and won their first game there as they beat Burundi taking them through to the quarter-finals. Now, their progress had been highlighted as they knocked out Zimbabwe in qualifying for the WAFCON and before that when they got as far as the third round of qualifying for the 2020 Olympics, having shocked South Africa. Well, Pearl Kerileng is a former player at club level in Botswana. She's now a journalist and she spoke to the Kosafa podcast about the growth of women's football in Botswana. When it started, uh, women's football started in Kaburuni, that is Kaburuni region, that is where most of the players were from. So no nowadays, uh, we have 16 regions, but only uh, close to 11 were active. But before that, it was just uh, two regions or so. So nowadays, there's a lot of competitions and you look at other regions where you'll be having your under 15, your under 17, and then the support Nowadays, it, it is way much better because even uh, the president, when he, he committed himself to support women's football, so you can just see the, the difference. Even the minister have just uh, committed himself to, to support the, the ladies. So that is where it is now. Because back then, people were just, uh, it was just women's football. It was just fun where everyone was just teasing it. And they would say, ah, these are boys, wannabes and everything because... You talk to, you sit down with players, they'll tell you that the reason why we are wearing like this is because we are playing a men's game, but 
we, we need all the support and everything. So nowadays, you look at them, the, it is not yet enough. You look at uh, sponsors, they already have uh, two sponsors now that came on board just to support women's football for the, for the national tournament. So which is something, and even the, the prize money, it was huge. And then you look at uh, the players. They're just there to compete nowadays. They're, they're not just playing for, for fun. Everyone want to play for the national team. Back then, uh, almost all the leagues were playing in the in the dusty grounds. And then Raborn region, because it was near uh, the Likidi Football Center where the BFA offices are based. So they decided that, oh, okay, let's have uh, the league being played just in uh, in Likidi because there are two grounds. So after that, you could see the the improvement. You look at 2018 and 2019 where they played Banyana Banyana and knocked out Banyana Banyana because now they were just starting to get used to playing in the turf because back then they were just seeing the turf when they were uh, outside in the competitions. So it is getting way much better every day. And then uh, women's football is really recognized in Botswana because you you have to compare. Back then you just hear players say, ah, number seven. And then this time around you can see, hear them just telling you your name, the, the names of the players. And then uh, the corporate is really coming on board, which is making even things easier. The government have also committed themselves to improve in terms of infrastructure because without infrastructure, you can't go anywhere. Is, is there, you know, in the women's teams, for example, in Botswana, is it still quite male-dominated in terms of coaching and that kind of thing? Or are there will, more women who are involved in women's in football, so In terms of coaching, I would say it is a male-dominated uh, area because I'm looking at uh, we have only only two teams. Only two teams are coached by, by women. Unfortunately, our our women coaches are really not yet uh, qualified so that is the, the problem that we are, we are facing here in Botswana. But uh, at least the association for now is trying to have lots and lots of uh, coaching courses uh, specifically for, for women. And then I'm looking at, with the club licensing now, Premier League teams for, for men uh, is required to have uh, women's teams. So they're doing everything that they can because they've been thinking of professionalizing uh, women's football and then uh, women's players getting contracts. And then when I look at when it comes to supporters, especially when the teams that have a uh, women's team and men's team, uh, if the game, if their games are, let me just say on a Saturday in the afternoon for, for the girls, they will go to the stadium or watch the girls. And then from here, they just cross to, towards the men. Well, that's Pearl Kerileng, a former player at club level in Botswana and now a journalist speaking to the Kasafa podcast about the growth of women's football in Botswana. Uh, so, Ida, we continue to see positive developments in women's football and a good signs too from this uh, club licensing. Absolutely, Steve. It's been a long time coming and not just in Africa, as you've said, but elsewhere. I mean, we've only recently in the last few years, for example, seen the formation of women's teams in iconic global clubs like Manchester United. And more and more clubs are seeing that they have no option but to put women's football on the agenda. And from the numbers seen in recent competitions, as well as performances of teams, you know, like Botswana, for example, getting all the way to the quarterfinals in a maiden appearance at the Wafgan, it says a lot. 
Steve, the club licensing is something that's been talked about for years now, but with FIFA publishing its first ever club licensing guide for women's football specifically earlier in the year, that added some much needed weight on the issue. Yeah, sure. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, as Manchester United play Liverpool on Monday, with both clubs having started badly. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. And last week we asked, which African players do you think will shine in the English Premier League this season? With the season underway now, Nottingham Forest have Nigeria striker Taiwo Awani. Uh, Chelsea have Senegal defender Kalidou Koulibaly. Uh, there's Edward Mendy at Chelsea, Wilfred Zahar at Crystal Palace and many others. Plus, of course, Mohamed Salah. Uh, so we asked, which African player or players do you think are set for a great season? We start in Algeria and Mariam Katia Mansour picks out two Algerians. That's Man City's Riyad Mahrez and West Ham's side Ben Rama. Uh, also tipping Riyad Mahrez for a great season are Chan Mabior in Sudan and Dan Kyoko in Kenya. And in Zimbabwe, Broina Manjokota says, yes, the Algerian wizard is set for a great season. In Nigeria, Akanimo Ntuk says Joe Aribo and Taiwo Awani will storm the league this season. Picking out two Nigerians is Ntuk. And Gwenya Ras Bongani says it's the Zimbabwean Jordan Zimura at Bournemouth. And Erasmus Chitonga also in Zimbabwe, another who's expecting a good season from Zemura. Plenty of people said Edward Mendy, the uh, Senegal and Chelsea goalkeeper, is set for a good season. Uh, they include uh, Willis Armakatia in Kenya and uh, Kagiana Ronaldi in Uganda. And then for Mohamed Salah, plenty of people expecting him to also have a dominant season. Uh, they include Munyasia Emmanuel, who's in Kenya. And this voice note from Balong Baji in the Gambia with some advice for Salah. I think Mohamed Salah can have a green season. He's still ambitious and his concerted efforts will continue to make him to compete but must work on this. Whilst delivering, he quickly loses balance and should avoid forcing himself to pass through tight places. Thanks there to Belong Baji, saying that Salah can lose his balance sometimes. Uh, Thomas Partey, the Ghanaian at Arsenal, was a popular pick too, especially from uh, listeners in Ghana, including Nelsiski Lopez Nelovic, uh, saying that uh, his name cannot go unmentioned. And uh, saying Partey for sure is Branislav Payala and uh, many others in Ghana, thinking that uh, Thomas Partey could be set for a good season. Uh, but the player who got the most mentions uh, was Akalidou Koulibaly, the Senegalese who's recently moved to Chelsea and, of course, who scored last weekend. Uh, Bayo Abdelai in the Gambia says, I'm a Man City fan, uh, but as an African, I must comment. And uh, in my opinion, I think Khalidou Koulibaly is set for a great season. Agreeing with uh, Bayo is uh, Nash Litunya in Kenya. And Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, I expect uh, Koulibaly to have a great season. Uh, many others uh, mentioned Koulibaly with uh, great expectations ahead. 
then uh, finally, Mbemba Barrow in the Gambia says, I believe Salah, Zaha, Koulibaly, Mares, and Patson Dakar will have a good season. Uh, Dakar featuring for Leicester and Holy Zlatan says, I'm looking forward to watching all of the African players this season. And uh, me too. Uh, so thanks very much for all of those comments. Uh, always great to hear from you here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And this weekend's big game will be on Monday night. It's Manchester United hosting Liverpool. And two games into the new season, Liverpool are yet to win. They're already four points behind Man City, while Manchester United are bottom of the table. Uh, Stuart, can these two teams recover uh, from this poor start? It really cannot get any worse for Manchester United. Played two, lost two. And with respect to the club's... Brighton at home and Brentford away are games that Manchester United of old would have expected to win comfortably. And six goals conceded. One scored, and that was an own goal. And they weren't just beaten last weekend at Brentford, they were humiliated. 4-0 down before half-time. I mean, that's just embarrassing. The nature of the goals themselves were were embarrassing. Uh, You know, we start with a mistake by David De Gea. Then the second goal came when Manchester United tried to pass the ball around in their own penalty area and just lost it. And the third goal was from a corner where two Brighton players got to the ball without any Manchester United player touching it. Falling two goals behind midway through the first half, two weeks in a row, if that was an examination of United's character, frankly they failed. Because last weekend Brentford scored twice more in five minutes. And... You don't hardly believe this, Steve. This is the seventh consecutive away league game this season and last that United have lost. Seven in a row. Their worst since 1936. It's also the seventh time that they've conceded four goals in a league game since the start of last season. You know, those stats would have been completely unthinkable in the days of Alex Ferguson. And United's next match, home to Liverpool, just what they didn't want. Player for player, you could say, uh, United are better than Brentford. But it's hard to think of a Manchester United player who's playing well at the moment. The goalkeeper is making mistakes. The defence has conceded six goals. Midfield are being overrun. And the forwards have yet to score a goal between them. And the Frankie de Jong saga has illustrated that world-class players do not want to join a club which is not in the Champions League this season and looks unlikely to be in it next season. Interesting that Ten Hag was quick to respond to criticism of his tactics, saying the defeat at Brentford was nothing to do with tactics. The first two goals were simply errors, dealing with the ball and (laughs) decision-making. And he added, and that made me laugh, Steve, I made three substitutions, but frankly I could have subbed any of the 11 players. But what is more disturbing than most, I think, is that Ten Hag said that the reason they lost to Brentford was that the Brentford players seemed to want to win more than Manchester United. Lack of ability, lack of form, lack of organisation, lack of desire. The crisis at Manchester United is growing. And interestingly, it has been, well, it's been speculated that Ten Hag is changing his mind about Cristiano Ronaldo um, and is happy to sell him. That the manager, we understand, is unhappy with Ronaldo's behaviour, his motivation, and 
his influence on the other players. And of course, we've also read that Paris Saint-Germain would like to sign Riceford. Things are really bad at Manchester United. Now, Liverpool started with an excellent win in the Community Shield over Manchester City, their great rivals. Liverpool also must have rubbed their hands with joy when they saw the season's fixtures, starting with two comfortable, winnable games, you'd think, away to promoted Fulham and home to Crystal Palace. But they won neither, and in both they had to come from behind to salvage a draw. Darwin Nunes, the striker signed to replace Sadio Mane, impressed on his debut, scoring against Manchester City, but in the Palace game, he reacted to being fouled by a Palace defender by headbutting an inevitable red card and suspension. But to return to your question, we're only two games into a 38-game programme, so points leads are pretty meaningless at this stage. And I have no doubt that Liverpool will have an excellent season, and also that Manchester City will hit a sticky spell and drop some points. But it's hard to be optimistic about Manchester United season. Indeed, and our last weekend was a great one for African players with a five African players scoring. That was Taiwo Awani, the Nigerian at Nottingham Forest, Joe Aribo, the Nigerian at Southampton, getting his first Southampton goal, uh, Brian Mbeumo, who we talked about on the show last week. He scored for Brentford after switching from France to Cameroon at international level. Uh, there was Kaludu Koulibaly for Chelsea and Wilfred Zaha with that goal for Crystal Palace against Liverpool. And as Stuart, after four own goals on the opening weekend, uh, we had three more on match day two. Now, last year, Lucas Dinho was playing for Everton against Aston Villa and he scored an own goal. And would you believe it, this season, he'd an Aston Villa player playing against Everton and he scored an own goal. Perhaps he's confused. And then what about Lerma at Bournemouth? What a difference a week makes. Last week, Lerma scored for Bournemouth after two minutes. He scored again this week in the wrong net. Oh dear. And Arsenal's William Saliba played so well in the Ghana's opening game, but uh, this time got an own goal against Leicester, although Arsenal won 4-2 anyway. And uh, Stuart, what about last Sunday's fiery encounter between Chelsea and Liverpool? That late, late equaliser for Spurs from Harry Kane and the managers Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte almost coming to blows after the final whistle. It was fiery, and we're not just talking about on the pitch, because there was an angry confrontation at the end between Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte that resulted in red cards for both managers. And earlier in this game, managers had clashed when Benkenkor's challenge on Kai Havertz was not penalised and the managers uh, really had a a bit of an argument about it. And when Chelsea scored, Tuchel celebrated by sprinting up and down the touchline past Conte, really quite provocative. And Steve, you and I were talking about this great defender, Kalidou Koulibaly, that Chelsea have signed, but we got it completely wrong. He's there to score goals. He got the first goal, a powerful volley, from Mark Cucurella's corner. So Chelsea's two new signings combining to produce a goal. Nottingham Forest pulled off an excellent 1-0 win over West Ham, and their two heroes were both players with something to prove. Dean Henderson's second-half penalty save from Declan Rice preserved the win. Henderson, of course, is on loan from Manchester United, and we understand that after the game he was not 
reluctant to make the connection between his game-winning save and David De Gea's errors. Then Taiwo Iwani, whom we heard from on the show last week, scored Forrest's goal. And of course, the Nigerian striker used to play for Liverpool. He joined the Reds as an 18-year-old in 2015, but never got a game for the first team. He was sent on loan to seven different clubs and eventually sold to Union Berlin in Germany. So, nice for him to show Liverpool and everyone else that he actually can score in the Premier League. And Forrest have now signed a staggering 15 new players since clinching promotion, including another Nigerian, Watford's former striker Emmanuel Dennis, who scored a lot of goals last season. And they've also signed the midfield player Cheko Kuwati, the Senegalese player who was at Crystal Palace last season. I really rate him. I think he's got a lot to offer Forrest in terms of tightening the defence and organising midfield. And of course, Jesse Lingard, Manchester United and on loan at West Ham, has gone to Forrest and he's playing well too. But, and we've said this before, a group of Nottingham Forest players got the club promoted, but I'm not sure how many of them will still be first team regulars this year as Forrest continue to replace them with new signings. Yeah, indeed, that's tough, isn't it? Uh, as you say, that that's how football is uh, these days. Uh, Nottingham Forest making big changes, but uh, of those players who got them promoted into the Premier League, quite a few won't be featuring for them this season, no doubt. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.